time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Happy week to you here. And it's Prophecy Week here at the Vintage Truth Podcast. And we're going to talk about some important issues regarding Bible prophecy. This week, we're going to talk about the rapture. And um, we'll just see how far we get. We may extend Prophecy Week into another week. We'll see how far we get on this thing. We're going to talk about the rapture here in just a little bit. If you hear a, a slight noise behind me, it's the sound of a little bitty space heater because it is freezing up here in the Ozarks and literally freezing. And we actually had snow flurries this morning in April, mid-April snow flurries. What's that all about? And so we're um, uh, we're just trying to stay warm. And uh, so here at the Vintage Truth headquarters here in the Ozark Mountains, we're without propane. So it's a little space heater or nothing. And so I'm bundled up in a coat here, but uh, we're going we're gonna get to get through this thing. It's all good. Hey, quickly, before we jump into Prophecy Week and the study of the rapture, I wanted to make you aware of something that is, that's really exciting about our ministry is that we're launching kind of a new little branch of our ministry, and I'm, I'm just calling it Team 8. Team 8. You say, well, what does Team 8 mean? Well, Team 8 is a challenge to all those who are listening to this broadcast to be willing to support the Vintage Truth Ministry for $8 a month. $8 a month. Hello? Anybody out there? You know, a lot of people are strapped for cash, and it's very difficult for them to have discretionary income. But I figure $8 a month, almost anyone can afford. That's a dollar a podcast, okay? So if this podcast is meaningful to you, if it, if it ministers to you, would you consider $8 a month? Team 8 is what I'm looking for. I'm going to post some more things on my official Facebook page about this uh, in the next week. But basically, it's just a way for us to rally together to help get God's vintage truth uh, out there. And so if you would like to be a part of that, then go to jeffkinley.com. And on the front page, click on the Donate tab. And you can, uh, you can pledge through PayPal to have an automatic draft done from uh, your your debit card for $8 a month. And if you're willing to do that uh, in the next week, then I will send you a free copy of Wake the Bride. And you can have this prophecy a book right in your own hands. So that's $8 a month. So I, I challenge you to do that. Our ministry needs you. We really need you. We only have like a handful of people who support our ministry, Main Thing Ministries, and, uh, and I know this ministry is reaching people all across the country. And so I would ask you to pray about $8 a month. Team 8, looking for 8 people. Okay, or excuse me, $8. I'm looking for more than 8 people, trust me. All right, let's talk about the rapture. You know, if there's one thing that most Christians, most theologians, most pastors will agree on, it's the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to return to planet Earth. The question is, how is he going to return and when? That's really that, Those are really the questions concerning Jesus Christ's return. Now, are, there are those who believe that Christ is going to return one day and he's going to make everything right again. He's just going to return. It is what's called this, his second coming. I believe that as well. But I also believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is going to return prior to that to rescue his bride 
from the coming wrath that God is going to unleash upon planet Earth. And in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, we have spelled out for us exactly what that wrath looks like. It's unimaginable, apocalyptic, cataclysmic, unbelievable anger from God released through a series of seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments. And it's going to be something that the world has never seen before. So these things could not have taken place at an earlier time. They also cannot be just simply explained away because these are very specific judgments. So the question is not just, is Jesus Christ coming back, but is he coming back for us? Is he coming back for us? And those of us who believe that he is, believe in an event that the Bible teaches called the rapture, okay? And the rapture is Christ returning to rescue his bride before he unleashes his wrath on planet Earth. All right, Jeff, so let's talk about that because there are people, there are whole, there are whole churches and denominations who do not believe in such a rapture event. And uh, and granted, there's been a lot of hype about the rapture in, in, in previous years. There was the whole Left Behind series, which I never read, but written by some great guys. But, you know, the movies came out and I mean, let's face it, a little, little bit cheesy there, right? I didn't really see much of the movies, but uh, I've heard that they're pretty cheesy. But the deal is, is that the rapture kind of gets a bad rap these days for a lot of reasons. And in fact, we're going to cover, we're going to begin to cover in the first part of this rapture talk here, we're going to cover some of the objections that people raise today regarding the rapture of the church. And let's just begin this by by talking about this this fact that we that we see really pervasive in our culture is that there's a flow of thought these days and it's really kind of in this postmodern, post-christian culture that we're in there's a flow of thought which which goes something like this you cannot be a hundred percent sure of any doctrine just pick a doctrine in, in scripture something you believe in about the bible and it doesn't really matter anyway that's kind of the thinking of today as christians we are a, a community of faith that believes in absolute truth. We don't believe that my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. We believe in God's truth, God's vintage truth. We all subscribe to that vintage truth. And we believe that it doesn't change, no matter who's in charge of the country or what the spirit of the age is or what, what popular opinion is saying. We believe that God's truth remains sure. It remains certain. But there are people there today and kind of the, um, the attitude of the world in which we live says that you have to be skeptical against any form of spiritual dogma. In other words, if someone says, I believe this and God says this, you automatically are skeptical about it. And so when we're confident regarding God's truth, Sometimes we're, we're portrayed as being arrogant. You know, how, how dare you believe something? How dare you know something, right? And so we have a whole new generation of, of millennials that are, some of them are atheists, some of them are professing Christians, but they both share this aversion towards, towards definitive belief, definitive theology. 
And so sometimes there are those in the culture that, that really reunite over a common redefining and even rejecting long-held Christian orthodoxies, such as the verbal inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture or a literal interpretation of the Genesis creation account or biblical gender roles, or even basic sexuality as described in the Bible. These kind of historic biblical truths have become fair game for quote-unquote emerging theologians to reinterpret in order to make the Bible and its archaic teachings fit more comfortably into mainstream culture and its evolving morality. So, it comes as no surprise then that when the doctrine of the rapture is taught, or strongly believed in, it is then dismissed as something invalid or passe. And one of the former profs at Dallas Seminary, where I went to seminary, used to say this. He used to, to, to call this attitude eschatological agnosticism. He's like, well, that sounds like a skin disease. What does that mean? Well, eschatological agnosticism just simply means, well, since I can't know anything about the future for sure, you sure can't know anything for sure either, so stop telling me there's going to be a rapture. That's basically it. I don't know. That's what agnostics say. Eschatological just means study of the end times. I don't know about the end times. And since I don't know, you can't know either. That's kind of the attitude. So if you can't know anything for sure, my question is, how can you know for sure what you doubt. In other words, can those who promote this doctrinal insecurity and uncertainty be sure of their uncertainties? Do they doubt their own skepticism? Can they be dogmatic about their professed ignorance? Or do they simply become like those they accuse of being narrow-minded? They become narrow-minded as well. So, So let me ask you this question. If God is really going to come and judge the earth in the end times, and if you want to know what, what, what's going to, going to happen, just read Revelation 6 through 19. If that's really going to happen, wouldn't you want to know whether or not you're going to go through it? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Wouldn't you want to know whether you're going to suffer unimaginable judgments, persecution, to have your head cut off or sawn off as as Revelation describes, wouldn't you want to know if you're going to suffer through plagues, famine, giant earthquakes, global earthquakes, plagues, demonic infestation, economic disaster, world wars? Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't want to know if you're going to go through that? If there is a future rapture, wouldn't you also want to embrace that reality just as you do all other important doctrinal truths? I mean, come on. If you're a Christian, why do you? Why would you want to just sit back? and not know anything. Don't you want to know? So I think it's important for us, that principle alone of the fact that you're either going to go through the tribulation or you're not, if there's going to be one, right? That fact alone should be enough motivation for you to want to study the rapture, okay? Now, I think that God has specifically stated in his word that we can know these things. In fact, when I look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and Paul is writing to the Thessalonians because there are people who have shaken their belief systems. There are people who have come into, these false teachers had come into the church, and they began to teach that, not that there wasn't going to be a quote-unquote tribulation period, but that they were already in it. 
And Paul writes to them. And he says in, uh, in chapter 4, uh, verse 13, he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. What does that mean? Well, it means that we don't want you to be ignorant. Because ignorance breeds fear and uncertainty and anxiety. You see, Paul, when he was with the Thessalonians, when he came there to establish the church, he didn't just teach them. Watch this now. He didn't just teach them about Jesus dying on the cross. That was the foundation of their faith for sure. He didn't just teach them about how Christ fulfilled messianic prophecies. He went beyond that and he taught them about the end times. He taught them about biblical prophecies that are going to take place in the last days. You know, there are pastors today who simply will not touch Bible prophecy. And my friend, that's a sin. It's not just ignorance. It's a sin. You know why it's a sin? Because Bible prophecies in the Bible and a pastor's job is to preach the full counsel of God. So if you're in a church that never preaches Bible prophecy, you need to go ask your pastor respectfully, hey, why don't we study Revelation together as a church? Why don't we go through Daniel together? Teach us through the end times or bring in a speaker who can. But anyway, when Paul came to the Thessalonians, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he begins talking about the, the coming apostasy. He begins talking about the coming Antichrist and talks about the Antichrist displaying himself as being God in the temple of God. You see, that obviously that's something that's in the future. Had Paul been referring to a past event, he would say, well, you'll remember when so-and-so did this. No, he's referring to the future. All right? But then verse 5 says this. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? You see, not only did he put it in Scripture right here, but he talked about all these things with him. In other words, end times prophecy and how the Bible describes the last days was a part of Paul's teaching regimen. It was a part of what he did with them. You see, this is important stuff. It's not just, you know, it's elective to some people. You know how when you, when you go to college, you know, you take your core courses, you know, you take the courses in your major and that type of thing. Then you end up with all these electives that you're like, what am I going to take? You know, so I'll take the history of the American Indian here over here, and I guess I'll over here. I'll take another psych class for fun. Hey, here's a course on, um, you know, sports medicine just for fun. I'll take that. And, you know, electives, right? And some people think that talking about the rapture or Bible prophecy is just kind of an elective in the Bible. It's not. Everything in the Bible is a part of the core curriculum. There's nothing that's like, oh, just nah, don't worry about that one. That God, God put that in the Bible, but eh, nobody takes that course, right? No, that's not how it works at all. And so Paul taught to the Thessalonians about these things because he didn't want them to be ignorant regarding the coming of the Lord. And so, according to Paul, it really was a big deal to talk about these things. So, let's do this. Let's begin by talking about some of the objections to this whole idea of the rapture. We'll see how far we get today, and we'll jump into it again on Friday. 
But let's talk about how people rebuff or ridicule or even want to remove the whole idea of the rapture from the Christian faith. Now, here's the first objection. The first common objection that we get is that the, the, the rapture is not even in the Bible. The word rapture is not even in the Bible. Okay, it's not there. Well, you say, well, how do I, how do I answer that one? Well, that's true. The word, the English word rapture is not in your Bible. You can search from Genesis to Revelation. You won't find it anywhere. So, gosh, is not a, kind of a bad argument for the rapture? Well, no. I'll tell you why. Because there are other words that depict doctrines that you believe in that are also not found in the Bible. You know what some of them are? How about the word Trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead. Three persons, one essence, the Holy Trinity of God. You believe that doctrine? Guess what? That word is not in your Bible. How about the word missions? Does your church talk a lot about mission? We're going on a mission trip. It's missions. We have the, the, the great commission. We're going to go on the mission trip. It's not there. Not in the Bible. The, word great, the words great commission are not in the Bible. Did you know that? How about Easter? Also not in the Bible. Incarnation. Talk about that at Christmas. Not in the Bible. The word Christmas is also not in the Bible. Monotheism. That word is not in the Bible. In fact, the word Christian only appears three times in the New Testament. That's not like a big word, right? In fact, the word Bible is not in the Bible. Did you know that? The English word Bible is not in the Bible. So all these things that we believe in, there are words we use to describe these doctrines. Now, now, for example, had you asked one of the Ephesian Christians back in the first century, you walk up to one of the sisters there, hey, sister, hey, do you believe in the Trinity? She would have looked at you like, you know, you were some alien from another planet. Trinity, what are you talking about? See, the word Trinity was coined many, many hundreds of years later as a helpful way of describing a truth that is clearly taught in the Bible. And so words or phrases like, like these things, incarnation and Bible and things like that, they simply enable us to understand and remember the biblical truths that they represent. So just because a word is not, the English word is not found in the Bible, doesn't mean that the teaching is not found in the Bible, right? So that argument really loses its, its punch there. So if the word rapture is not in the Bible, where does this belief in rapture come from? Where, where does the, the English word rapture come from? Well, let me tell you. The English word comes from a transliteration of the Latin word raptura. So when translating 1 Thessalonians 4.17 from Greek to Latin in the 4th century, the Catholic Church translated the Greek word describing this event of Jesus coming back for his church as rapiamur from the word the the word rapio or rapio over time another form of the word rapturo was used when speaking of the truth contained in this verse in the latin version of the greek new testament so our english word rapture is derived from the latin word rapturo now what's more important than what the english or latin words we use the, the meaning of those words is the meaning of the original Greek word, which is what the New Testament was written in and what it means in its context. It really doesn't matter whether we call 
Easter, Easter. Did you know that? God doesn't care what you call Easter. You could call it Resurrection Day or Rise Up Sunday or Empty Tomb Day. That'd be great. What matters is if there was a resurrection, right? If there was an Easter. And whatever we call it, that's fine. It's Jesus coming back from the grave day. You see, there's a, there's a word in the Greek language that describes the rapture event. It's the Greek word. We'll talk more about that uh, in a few broadcasts. Call, it's called harpazo. That, the word is harpazo. It means to suddenly snatch away something or a person. It means to catch up someone or disappear them. Now, we could call the rapture the catching up, the disappearing, the snatching away, the great snatch away. I mean, come on. It just doesn't really have the same kind of punch that the rapture does. Or we could just call it the harpazo. Well, that, what is that? It sounds like, you know, an Italian dish or something. I'll have the harpazo. You know, what is that, right? So we don't call things by their Greek names. We call them by English words that represent truths that we see in the Bible. Now, a second objection that people have to the rapture is that some people say that they say that Christians are really like the people of Israel, that God protected from harm in the midst of the ten plagues when he unleashed those on Pharaoh in Egypt. So he says the people weren't delivered out of the plagues. They were just exempted from the plagues, right? And yet nowhere in Revelation or anywhere else in the Bible does God state that there exists this parallel between Israel and the church in this matter. And so those who come to faith during the tribulation, they also receive no exemption clause from John. There's nothing to indicate that people in Revelation will be given some umbrella of protection from all of God's awful judgments during the tribulation period. In fact, just the opposite is true. John indicates in Revelation that the redeemed multitude in the tribulation period will suffer and die during that seven-year period. Now, it's later on that they will go to heaven where they'll hunger no more and they will thirst no more and the sun won't beat down on them nor any heat and God will wipe away the tears from their eyes. That's, that's presupposing or it's indicating that they did go through a lot of that. So they, they may suffer through a lot of these uh, tribulation events as God's wrath falls on the just and the unjust. So that would seem to be an additional wise motivation to trust in Christ before the terrible time of, the, of God's uh, judgment on planet Earth comes. So people try to deny the rapture because the word rapture is not in the Bible. We talked about that. Secondly, they say that we're like Israel. We'll just be protected from those events, and that's why there's not going to be a rapture. And there's two more very important objections to the rapture we'll cover next time as we talk about is the rapture real? Is it a hoax or is it a holy hope that we have in the future? Hey, have a great week. We're going to tackle two more great objections next time and then dive into the rapture itself from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And hey, if you'd like to be a part of Team 8, $8 a month to help support the Vintage Truth Podcast, go to jeffkinley.com, click on that Donate tab. And if you do that in the next week, I'll send you a free copy of Wake the Bride. Have a fantastic week. Talk to you on Friday. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.